guy by the name of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is one of my favorite characters in the New Testament, along with other guys by the name of Barnabas or Philip, the behind the scene characters, if you will. These were the seconds in the Bible. They literally gave of themselves for other people and were introduced here in Matthew chapter 3 to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is one of those guys that literally gave everything, his life, uh, his ministry, his church, his gathering of people, and he gave it all uh, to Jesus. In fact, as we're going to find out, he, he literally had a mega church. People were coming out from every single part of Judea to come and listen to John the Baptist and who does he point every single one of them to? Jesus Christ. In fact, he, he told all those people, including his disciples, by the way, to go and follow uh, Jesus. We're going to see that uh, tonight. In Matthew chapter 1, we read the first part here, but I would love to read it again with you. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 3, verse 1, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who spoke of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare uh, the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. If you've ever read the gospels before, maybe you know, you may, maybe read a, what it's called a synoptic gospel where you can see Matthew and Mark and Luke beside each other. A lot of these stories are the same, but there's one section that is always the same, even including John, which is not part of the, what are called the synoptic gospel. Only in Matthew and Luke do we have the birth of Jesus Christ. We see the birth from Joseph's perspective. And in Matthew, we see the birth of Jesus Christ from the perspective of Mary. We don't get that in Mark or in John, but there's one thing that is unique to every single one of the Gospels, and it's the baptism of Jesus Christ and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Both are in every single one of the Gospels. In fact, in your Bibles, you may see that there's subheadings, if you will, that, that quote Mark and Luke, and John, and Matthew, every single one displaying at least part of the baptism of Jesus Christ. And th there's a reason for that, because this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry here on the earth. A at the age of 30, now coming to the Jordan River and being baptized by his cousin, uh, John uh, the Baptist. Look at what it says there in in verse 2 there, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths, what? Straight. Going all the way back to the book of Isaiah. In fact, John the Baptist predicted not only in the book of Isaiah, uh, but throughout not only the major prophets, but the minor prophets as well. The very last book of the Old Testament pointing to this John the Baptist, the one who's going to be preparing the way for the Messiah. Last week, we got to see a little bit of what he looked like here. Now, John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan 
went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. How many people came out to listen and gather around the Jordan River? A lot of people. In fact, it says here, all, right? Everyone was coming out to hear and listen to John the Baptist. I don't know if you've ever been to a mega church or a very large church before. This may looks, makes a, a mega church look small, right? Literally thousands and thousands of people coming out to listen to John the Baptist. I love what it says there, the last phrase, confessing their sin. What, what, what was the message that John the Baptist is giving? It's all about repentance. Preparing your heart for who? The Messiah. The Messiah is coming. The privilege that we have as we've been walking through this is to see that there's a word here, and it's not the last name. His dad's name was Zechariah, but they added this phrase to the end of John's name. It's called the what? The Baptist. John the Baptist. I, I used to live on the island of Guam for about two and a half years, and I went to this really small church. It was just this really tiny church, and they always had this. It was a Baptist church, and they had this pamphlet in the back, tracing a Baptist, okay? The Baptist denomination and how John the Baptist being the one of the progenitors or the founders of the Baptist denomination. I always laughed at that because it's not really true. Uh, but it's one of the things that's common with all Protestant denominations. Because what is the first step after salvation? What is the first thing that we do in order to show that we're saved? It's to be baptized, right? It doesn't matter if you have the Baptist title or whatever it may be. It doesn't matter that. Are you baptized? We're going to see John himself baptizing Jesus Christ into this initiation of baptism. Now, did Jesus have any sin? Then why did he need to be baptized? We're going to see that, by the way. It's really a privilege as we walk through this. We really understand what baptism means. There in verse 7 it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of what? Repentance. And now, of course, John the Baptist was the son of a high priest. He, he could have been one of those high priests that were not only known these Pharisees and these Sadducees, but also even had the privilege of going into the very Holy of Holies himself. His dad being a high priest, he himself could have had that privilege. But what has he done instead? He's given it all up. Why? Because he's obeying the call of God. Uh, dressed in camel skins, eating those locusts and wild honey that we were talking about uh, last week. That protein and that, that energy, that natural energy that you can get from these kosher items. But then addressing those that he himself 
probably even knew, probably even went to school with, probably even grew up with. These Pharisees and these Sadducees, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. It's not your heritage. It's not your grandparents going to a certain church or, or you growing up in a certain church or maybe your grandma, or your grandpa, or your mom, or your dad donated a certain amount of money to the church. No, it's not. It's a personal relationship with who? Jesus Christ. It's what we do with the calling, right? It's not what someone else did for us. It's what we do with the choice that God has given to us. Verse 10 there. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. How, how do I know if someone is a follower of Jesus Christ? How, how do your fruits exactly? Though those fruits that we read about later on in the the epistles, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, goodness, all those fruits of the Spirit or fruit of the Spirit. I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you the Holy Spirit, fire. This word baptize literally means to immerse. It's one of these terms that goes even before the writing of the New Testament. It's a term, and hopefully you had a chance to either listen or look this up yourselves, or like your homework assignment from last week. This word baptize literally means to immerse completely in a liquid. In fact, if you've ever read maybe like Strong's Concordance or maybe an older commentary, there's a guy by the name of James Montgomery Boyce. And he wrote a lot of, whether Christian articles or commentaries. In fact, he's always quoted, whenever you look at a, a, a quotation about baptism, you always look up this quote here. He says that the clearest example that shows the meaning of the word baptism or baptizo is a text from the Greek poet and physician Nicander who lived about 200 BC. So 200 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, there was this recipe, like your old recipe books from your grandma or a recipe book that you have, not from the internet, but from a long time ago. One of, the, one of those recipe books that are falling apart on your shelf somewhere. But this is one of those recipe books that go back 200 years, written in the same language, by the way, as the New Testament, okay? Koine Greek. It uses this word baptism. And the reason why this is important, because we're taking a, a, another source other than the Bible, and we're looking at this visual representation of what baptism means. In its recipe for making pickles, it's helpful because he uses both words. Nicander says 
that in order to make a pickle, a vegetable should first be dipped into boiling water, then baptized into a vinegar solution. The verb concerns the immersing of vegetables into a solution. Now, I, I'm sure all of you have tasted pickles before, right? What, what's a pickle made from? Cucumbers, exactly. Have you ever tasted a cucumber and a pickle? Do they taste the same? No, they're very different tastes. Cucumbers are bland, right? There, you bite them, and compared to a pickle, they, even the insides look different, right? But what happens when a cucumber that is taken from the vine is immersed in that vinegar solution, what does it become? Pickle. Now, Nicander's recipe isn't for a pickle, okay? It, it's not for a, a cucumber. It says, he believes that and is baptized shall be saved. Christ is saying that mere intellectual assent is not enough. This must be a union with him, a real change. It is a permanent change. It's not temporary. Can a pickle go back to being a cucumber? Why? Why? There's a change that takes place, even down to the chemical elements themselves. Now, it took me a long time to find this recipe, and it, I, ha I have it up here. The guys uh, will put it up there in just a little bit. This is a, you know, a, a, a copy of, of a recipe from 200 B.C., 2200 years ago, okay? James Montgomery Boyce, he doesn't show this part of it, but it, it took a long time to, to find this. And one of these examples is of this recipe is he cut turnip roots and the rind before it is withered after gently cleansing it into thin slices and having dried them a little in the sun and sometimes just dip in boiling water, immerse many together in a sharp brine, and at other times put into a vessel white new wine with vinegar, half and half, the pickling them in it, cover over with salt. And the word here for immerse is the same Greek word that we have in our New Testament, this word baptism. It means to immerse completely in a solution. Now, John the Baptist uses these words also exactly the same way. There's a baptism for repentance, and there's a baptism of power, a chain. The baptism that John the Baptist is preaching about is a, a temporary change, a, a repentance, if you will. The dipping of that vinegar into a hot water bath to cleanse it. But the other change comes to the very heart of the matter, the actual chemical change. Where a vegetable, in this case a turnip, which is even better than a cucumber, because if you've ever tasted a raw turnip before, Maybe your life was more like a turnip than a cucumber. Because what does a turnip taste like? 
bitter. It's tough, right? It can even be woody. It can have this shell around it that is very hard. It can be hard to eat. But what happens when you take that vegetable that is bitter and hard and you immerse it into this vinegar, or in this case, this half solution, what happens to that vegetable? There's a chemical change, that a permanent change that happens. First of all, it tastes better. And also it lasts longer too, which is also interesting. Because if you leave a cucumber out, how long is it going to last? Not very long. What is going to happen to it? It's going to get all soft, if you will. But what happens when you change that cucumber into a pickle? Does it last long? It preserves it exactly. The same thing with this word baptism here. Look at what... John the Baptist says there, continuing on, I love this part, by the way. This is one of those things that is extremely important to understand because there's a difference between water baptism and being baptized in Jesus Christ. Verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize ties you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This, this is why we're not baptized in water before we're saved, but after. Because there's a, an outward showing of what has happened internally with us. This, this is why we don't baptize our babies or our children before they've known Jesus Christ. There's a difference that John the Baptist is showing about this. One is temporary and the other is permanent. Something that has changed inside your life. And all these people are coming out to hear this message of repentance. Verse 12 there, his winnowing fan is in his hand and he will Thoroughly clean out his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You're either baptized in Christ or you are not baptized in Christ, right? There are consequences for not being baptized in Jesus Christ. Now, the privilege that we have as we've been going through this the Gospels, it's the good news, right? Is there a way to God? And who is that way through? Jesus Christ. Is there good news in that? Yeah. Verse 13. By the, by the way, I know every single one of you know this story. This is not new to any of you. But the privilege as we've been walking through is to see now that this contrast is John the Baptist literally has thousands and thousands of people coming out to be baptized in the Jordan River. And who now comes in verse 13? Who comes in verse 13? Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him 
saying, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me. But by the way, when was the first time that John the Baptist and Jesus met? When did they meet? Yeah, in the womb. Remember, Elizabeth was pregnant, six months pregnant, and Aunt Mary comes visiting her cousin. This is Elizabeth and Zechariah, who, who were very old and didn't have any kids of their own at this time. And now she gets pregnant after John the Baptist, or excuse me, Zechariah has gone into the Holy of Holies. The angel has, has made him uh, uh, not be able to talk. And she's pregnant, six months at least. While Mary comes, and, and what happens to John the Baptist in her womb? He leaps, right? He leaps, right? And she, feeling this in her own womb, knows that there's this, the Messiah. And the one inside of her is going to be the one that prepares the way for the Messiah. Of course, John, he's understanding what real baptism means. I, 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 I can't baptize you. You're, you're the Messiah. You're the one, the promised one, the anointed one that has come to save uh, his people from their, their sin. It, it's me that needs to be baptized. I'm, I'm the sinner. You're not the sinner. I, I'm the sinner. And what does Jesus say to him? This is important to understand because, again, this story is in every single one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them, okay? That this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, that this is the initiation uh, that Jesus is doing in order to start his ministry. Before that, he hasn't exposed himself or announced himself to the people yet, okay? This is now the first part of his ministry. Look at what he says. But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Isn't that interesting? What does it mean to fulfill all righteousness? Remember, Matthew is all about prophecy, prophetic power, okay? The subtitle of Matthew. To, to understand that there's power in every single prophecy that is written in the book of Matthew. Every single one of those Old Testament passages that points back to a prophecy speaks to something that must be fulfilled. And there's power behind every single one of these prophecies. Jesus didn't come because he was a sinner. Why did he come? To fulfill prophecy. To show that there's power in the prophecy. Not only did he have to be born of a virgin, not only have to be come from the line of David all the way back, not only on his dad's side, but also on his mom's side, every single one of these prophetic words had to be fulfilled, including this baptism. You see, the baptism of Jesus Christ shows there's more than three, but three specific things. Jesus joined with the believing remnant of Israel who had been baptized by John. What is he showing by being baptized? He's identifying with the people. The Son of God, Emmanuel, 
The one who is righteousness incarnate is identifying as a human being. As a person, as a man, right? We know, as we're going to see in just a little bit, that he overcame every single temptation. He never once sinned. But did he still identify with sinful men? Was he still 100% human? When he came to this earth, for us. The second thing that he did by doing this is he confirmed his ministry. The beginning of his ministry starts here. He, he, he's baptized and he's going to go into the wilderness to be tested, to be tried, to be tempted. And the third thing, he fulfilled the Father's will. He fulfilled prophecy. He obeyed, he submitted himself to the will of the Father. What does it say there in Matthew verse 15? To fulfill all what? Righteousness. Some, something had to be fulfilled. Now, the understanding here, as John the Baptist says, I'm, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals or even to carry his sandals. If you've ever had sandals like an outdoor, you know, th these were even dirtier sandals. If you've ever been to the, the Jordan River, it's a very dirty river. It's not clean. And can you imagine walking down those muddy banks? What happens to your sandals? Are they caked with mud? Caked with dirt, right? And then to understand that even John the Baptist, a person as a man himself, knowing he himself was a sinner, uh, baptizing the Son of God and, and getting to see the confirmation of who Jesus is in this moment. Look at what it says there in verse 16. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. So even if you didn't have that recipe, even if you didn't know the word baptism meant immersion, what do you see from the context of this verse? He had to come out of the what? Water. If you just visualize it, you see what it looks like, right? He, he had to actually be put down into the water, completely immersed, and then come up out of the water. This isn't a sprinkling. This isn't some partial baptism. No, this is a complete immersion. I remember it was probably three years ago or two years ago exactly. I'm not really sure. But when Kevin was baptized, he, he was baptized out here in one of the troughs. And he had left part of his hand up out of the water. And one of the things he wanted to do when he went to the Jordan River in Israel was to be completely immersed. Why? Why? Yeah, the, his hand even. To be completely immersed in that river. Now, if you guys know Kevin, you know that he's a changed man. He's, it's not that outward washing, but it's that inward washing. That symbolism, if you will, right? To be completely immersed in Jesus Christ. Look at what it says there. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In those two verses, you have all three parts. 
all three persons of the Trinity. Who is the one that's being baptized? Jesus. Uh, who do we see coming down like a dove? The, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And who's the one that's speaking? God the Father. Grew up in, remember this church that we used to go to in Altaloma, California. And, and right on the front of the, the podium, if you will, there was always this sign. It had this exact phrase. You may have grown up with it also. This phrase that is written literally on the place where the communion would be set at certain times of the month. This is my beloved son in whom I am what? Why, why is that so important? Why is that so important that we have written? And again, remember, this account is in every single one of the Gospels. Not all the miracles are in every part of the Gospels. Not even the birth of Jesus Christ is in every single one of the Gospels. But this is, why is this so important? It confirms the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus announced, or God announcing who Jesus Christ is. Is that important to understand? Yeah. Why do we follow Jesus Christ? Why, why, why are we even going to celebrate communion tonight? Do we, do we serve a, a man or a person? No, we serve the one who came as God incarnate, who lived as a man. John the Baptist not only gave up his congregation to Jesus Christ, but he also gave up some of his disciples as well. In fact, we learn from the other Gospels that there was at least two of the followers, at least two of the disciples of John the Baptist that were told by John the Baptist to go and follow Jesus Christ. It was John and Andrew, by the way. In fact, we're going to see right after the temptation of Jesus Christ that these two disciples were told to go and follow Jesus. Can you imagine giving up not only your church, but your disciples as well? To go and follow another person. How humbling is that John the Baptist, being older than even Jesus, having his ministry first, what is he doing? He's submitting to the will of God. He's fulfilling prophecy. Look at what it says there in Matthew chapter 11, just skipping a a couple of chapters ahead. We'll get to this later on. We'll, we'll see it more. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. This is John the Baptist, okay? This is the only person in the entire gospel accounts that we have that Jesus gives a sermon about. By name. By name. John the Baptist. He, he gives a, this paragraph-long sermon about John the Baptist. What does he say? What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. Or did you go out to see a voice that was strong and powerful? The understanding is that John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord, this is part of prophecy that had to be fulfilled. And was there power behind the prophecy? 
Was there power behind the prophecy? Yes, there was. Continuing on there, we see chapter 4, verse 1. And then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Read that again. Read that again. Who is the one that is leading John the Baptist to go to be tempted? Who? The Holy Spirit. The, the one that just descended as a dove just a couple of verses before is now the one that's leading him into the wilderness to do what? To be tempted. Now, I'm sure all of you, you know this. You guys are extremely smart. You, you're knowledgeable about the scriptures. You understand in terms of not only in terms of where we're, every time we celebrate Easter or, or learn about the Passover, there was this period of time of testing, if you will, of the lamb. Examination. Every single lamb that had to be sacrificed had to be put into and separated in the home. It had to be separated from the flock. It had to be examined for a certain number of days. Because if there was found a single spot or, or something that was wrong with that lamb, maybe a, a, a broken leg or, or some part of that lamb that wasn't pure white, it was unqualified to be sacrificed. And so this lamb was taken and it was separated and it was examined and what? In order to be qualified for a sacrifice. It had to be pure. It had to be clean. The same thing is happening with Jesus Christ here. Because this word for temptation is also the word testing. He's being tested. He's being examined. He is proving that he is 100% clean without sin. How many times have you been tempted? And you can pass the temptation, you can pass the test a thousand times, right? Until you fail one time. And then what happens? There's a mark. Is it easy to fall? And all of us have been tempted. All of us have failed. But Jesus Christ is being tempted in every single way and yet without what? Sin. These are just three examples, by the way. Verse 2, And when he had fasted 40 days, 40 nights afterwards, he was... I'm sure you would be the same, by the way. Half a day even, right? A full day, and we're hungry. We're wanting to eat. There's nothing wrong with eating. But why is he doing this for 40 days and 40 nights? By, by the way, this is miraculous in itself, right? This is miraculous just doing this, being in the wilderness, fasting, preparing himself as he's going into this ministry preparing himself what happens to your body without food for 40 days again proving that he's human by the way not just being a some spirit what did he feel in his stomach hungry 
as any of us would be, as any human would be. He was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. What's the title that's given to Satan? What's the title that's given to the devil in this? Who, is, who has brought him into the wilderness? It's the Holy Spirit. And who is the one that's doing the tempting? It's not God. It's Satan. But who brings him into this testing time period? The Holy Spirit. Does God allow testing in our lives to prove something? That there's power in the prophecy. There's power behind the prophecy. The very first thing, of course, is to his physical nature. His very innate need as a, a human being. What does he say? Turn these stones into what? Bread. By, by the way, could Jesus have done every single one of these things? Did, did, he, did he make food out of just a couple of fishes and bread, right? And was that totally okay? Was that even miraculous? So why isn't it done here? Jesus quotes something from the Old Testament. It gives us a clue into why this is. Verse 4, but he answered and said, it is written, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Why was he fasting in the first place? Why was he there for 40 days and 40 nights? Who was feeding him? God was, right? There was something deeper. But by the way, why are we called to fast sometimes? Is it something to show outwardly or to brag about? No, why do we fast? There's power behind the fasting. There, there's a prayer and the fasting. There's a preparation that is taking place. I'm giving up a certain amount of my time, these portions of food, the preparation of the food. I'm giving that up to do what? To prepare myself for prayer or, or to come before the Lord or to seek the Lord. It's the same thing here. Who is the one that's spiritually and even physically feeding Jesus Christ? Who's sustaining him physically? God himself. And you know this. You've probably heard even sermons about this passage, about these passages. What does Jesus do every single time Satan tempts him? He quotes Scripture, right? Three times he quotes Scripture, right? And the first time he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. In fact, every single one of these quotations are going to come from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 8, okay? Every single one of these come from the Pentateuch, come from the book of Deuteronomy, a book that was learned when you were a little child, a, a book that would have been taught to every single Jewish child. A, a child could quote these things if they were a Jew growing up in the synagogue. And Jesus is quoting these basic passages to whom? Satan, the tempter. He's quoting these passages 
from the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, the very first one, and he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds out of the mouth. You understand how important that is? Who was feeding the people of Israel in the wilderness? And the imagery here is very clear. Who was feeding the people of Israel every single day, twice a day? Who was feeding them? God. For 40 years, he was feeding them this way. This manna. When you go back and you actually read the whole passage that, that Jesus is quoting from, it, it's amazing, right? There, there's this manna that is coming down and feeding the people of Israel. And as they're relying upon God. The first one, of course, the first temptation is this turning of the stone into bread. The second temptation gets a little bit higher, gets a little bit tougher, if you will. Verse 5, Then the devil took him up into the holy city and sent him on the pinnacle of the temple. No longer the tempter now. Who is the naming him? What does it say? Devil. Capital D there. Naming him. Okay. Now, you have to picture this because unless you've actually seen a, a temple or something like that, you have to picture a, a big church, right? A big temple, if you will. And, and what's at the top of a normal church or temple? The pinnacle, right? The, this point, if you will. The, the top part of the building. Now, there's a, a reason why this is taking place on the top, okay? Who would be there at the bottom of the temple? Who would be there? People, right? God. It's the top of the temple, okay? It, it's the top of this religious building. And who's down there? All these people. An audience, if you will, right? The, the, this place where Jesus could be seen as he's falling off this building. And what does the devil say to him? And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands, they will bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Devils quote scripture now. Do you know that the devil knows scripture? He even knows it better than us, by the way. They, they come to your door. Do, do you know how the difference between someone who just quotes scripture and someone that actually lives scripture it's the same thing we talked about earlier by their fruit anyone can memorize scripture even the demons know scripture satan knows scripture he quotes scripture but what do they do with scripture they misquote it they turn it for their own gain He's quoting from Psalms 91, by the way. Satan, of course, he knows the Bible better than us, but he always misquotes it. 
He always uses it for his own selfish privileges. We have to examine the lives of people that quote scripture. I've known people even that used to go to this church that, that have changed their views. And they're very good at quoting scripture but until you examine their lives. Because a person that's a follower of Jesus Christ will live out what they preach, right? It's how they treat the servants. It's how they treat their spouses. It's how they treat other people. Do they actually live what they preach? Or is it just something that they do to get you to follow them? Get you to do what they're doing? Do they use the scriptures to build up? Or do they use the scriptures to tear down? Why do we have the scriptures? Why are we supposed to, what are we supposed to do with the scriptures? We're supposed to do what? Edify one another, right? We're supposed to build one another up with the scripture rather than do the opposite, which is tear down. There's an understanding behind this because what is Satan doing? Throw yourself off the building. Everyone's going to see you. They're, they're going to see what happens. At, and as you float, down, you're going to somehow show people who you are. Is that fulfilling prophecy? No. It's not. It, it, it was to show that he himself was somehow in control of what Jesus was doing. By the way, in the very next part, he goes up even higher. Starting with this stone, then going to the top of a temp, temp, the temple, and then going to the top of a high mountain. What does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and... Worship me. What was Satan trying to do? From the very first temptation, what was he trying to do? Now you see his actual heart. You actually see his motive. What was he trying to get Jesus to do from the very beginning? Trust in the tempter. Trust in the devil. Trust in Satan. Rather than who? This is why temptation is so dangerous. Because what does it lead to? Sin. Following the tempter rather than the deliverer. Following the deceiver rather than the truth giver. You all, this is absolutely amazing how Jesus overcomes this. Oh, it's always from the scriptures. When is the best time to stop a sin? When is the best time to stop an addiction? When is the best time to so stop a bad habit? Right now, yes, before it begins, which is even better, right? Which is easier to stop before it even begins. Those of you that are older understand this, right? Why, why are we here tonight? We get to worship. We get to have communion with the one who brings truth. With the one who gives us power to overcome temptation.
the privilege that we have as we're going through the Gospels is we're going to get to see the Lord's Supper from each of the perspectives of all four of the Gospels, okay? Now that we're in the book of Matthew, every single first Wednesday, we're going to look at the, the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper from the perspective of Matthew. And then when we get to Mark, we'll do the same. And when we get to the book of Luke, we'll do the same, okay? And the interesting thing is, from the perspective of Matthew, he was actually there in that upper room. Just like he was actually there when the disciples were being chosen, when, when, when Jesus came to him as that tax collector. Did Matthew know temptation? And did he know sin? But more importantly, did he know forgiveness? and communion with the Savior. He was there in that upper room. Look at what Matthew says there. I'm going to read this as I invite the men to come forward, the, the ladies to come forward. We're going to read it again later on. But I, I want you to just read it, okay? Just to look at it, okay? Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my what? What was the very first temptation? What was the very first temptation? It was bread. The, the very thing that Jesus is breaking, what is he now showing about the bread? What is he showing? That this is my body that was broken for you. The men are going to be passing out the elements. The, the ladies are going to be singing. And as you hold these elements, meditate upon these words, okay? We're going to take it corporately together. But, but as you're holding these elements in your hand, really understand this. Re re really immerse yourself in the text. Immerse yourself in the understanding that this is my body. And the second part here, and then he took the cup and gave thanks and he gave it to them, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is said for the many, for the remission of sin. Again, this understanding of, of why we are doing this. You're communing with the Savior with the one who died for you, with the one that provides a way of escape, the one that helps us to overcome sin, the one that helps us to overcome those things that so easily uh, beset us, those things in our lives that are hindering you. And by the way, this is for Christian. You don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior. This means nothing, but you can know him now. You can know him right now. And thank God for that. So as the men pass out, as you listen or join us in worshiping, uh, hold the element. We'll take them together. Thank you, ladies. Make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing. But all you have given me, Jesus, bring new one out of me. 
in the crash you are making the wall in the soil I now surrender you are breaking the You want me to be came here with nothing all you have given me Jesus bring me Jesus bring me Jesus bring me was when there there is no power, there is no freedom. The kingdom is here. I lay down my little Carry your to do. Is when there is no there is no power. There is no free, and the king and diamonds here. I lay down my old flags to carry your new profile. Make me the soul, make me an offering, make me whatever on me to be. I came here with nothing. Oh, you have given me Jesus break me. Jesus break out of me. Jesus break. Have you tested Jesus? Have you tested him? Have you examined him? Is this just another thing that you do religiously or traditionally? Or is this something precious to you? The, the privilege of being able to commune with the Savior. So every time we take it, every time we eat of these elements, every time we remember what Jesus Christ did for us, this is the privilege of knowing Jesus. To, to being intimate with him. To seeing how he's changed your life. How he's overcome all those things in our lives that, that weigh us down. The sin. Has he cleansed you? Look what it says there in verse 26. And this is the privilege of doing this together corporately as the disciples did there in the upper room. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it. He gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. So as you eat this, remember what Jesus Christ did for you. The very next verse says, and then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine 
now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Not, not only is this looking back to what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, but it's looking forward to what we get to experience with him in the future. Wow. Is there a hope that is sure in Jesus Christ? Every time you drink this, you get to be reminded of that. Let's drink it together. By, by the way, it's going to taste a lot better too, right? New tongues, new taste buds. Better as the ladies were singing, new wine. But of course, it doesn't end there. And we're going to see this in every single one of the Gospels as well. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And as our tradition on the first Wednesday of the month, we get to also sing a hymn. I just want to read one of the verses for you before we sing it together. Are you burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy? You are called to bear. Count your many blessings. Every doubt will fly. And you will be singing as the days go by. If you will, please stand with me as we sing this song. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, name what God hath done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one, and count your many blessings, see what God has done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy? You are called to bear. Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as the days go by. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. When you look at others with their lands and gold, I think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold count your many blessings money cannot buy your reward in heaven or your home on high count your blessing name them one by one count your blessing see what god hath done count your blessings name them one by one Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged, God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings, see one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, 
Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God hath done. So, Father, tonight, the privilege of being able to sing these amazing songs that we sang earlier today, the foundation of who we are, being that, that new wine that, that comes from your very presence, your Holy Spirit in us, understanding what it means to, to walk with you, and then seeing that you yourself being tempted, you yourself being prepared so that we could have an example, Lord. That you identified with us first. And then the privilege that we also get to be identified with you. Every time that a person is baptized or every time a, a person takes communion, the, the privilege of understanding that we're identifying with Christ and who he is. And so, Lord, tonight if that taste is still on our mouth. As that we're we're remembering this time that we've had together, help us take that with us today. Maybe even share it with someone else. Maybe even tell someone else, Lord. Tell someone else about you and our experience with you. That that unique testimony that every single one of us had. Everyone, every single one of us has that we would share it with those around us. And then, Lord, give us that strength, that power that comes from you, that can overcome the tempter, devil, Satan himself. It always comes from the power of your word of who you are, understanding that you are more permanent than anything here on this earth, that, that the words that receive from you, the those, that strength that we need on a, a daily basis is even more important than the food that we eat. That I, that I, I need to feed upon you. I, I need to devour your word. I, I need to be filled with you every single day. And how important that is to our very walk with you. Lord, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the powerful prophecies that we're looking at. As we go through the book of Matthew, I ask that you speak to us this week, that we would be changed as we leave here tonight, Lord. Thank you so much for the body of believers that are the example to me, that are being examples to one another, Lord, because we're following after you, Lord. So bless these, my friends, my family. Use us for your glory. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming tonight.